This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. Apostles' Creed. We are talking about the Apostles' Creed. And it's one of those things where, I don't know, sometimes it's just good to get back to the basics, you know? Sometimes we get so complicated and we get so uh, frazzled and stuff, we just need to go back to the basics. I remember reading a story once. There's a man by the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth is considered by most to be the leading, most influential theologian of the first half of the 20th century. He died in the late 60s. But nearing the end of his life, um, he's a German, and he had never been to America. And towards the end of his life, he... uh, He made his only trip to the United States to speak at some seminaries here. And so he was giving a a talk at a seminary and they were doing a QA and a session. And this this man is so revered at this point, so revered um, by by pastors and theologians. And, And somebody got up and said, Dr. Bart, if you could summarize your entire life's work, if you could summarize all that you've worked for and all your theological studies and all the books that you've written and everything that you've taught over the years, how would you summarize everything that you've taught us? And this elderly gentleman who is so revered said, well, I would summarize it by using a song that I was taught when I was a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I just, and it's such a, a, it's so powerful, I actually thought it was probably an urban legend. You know how you see quotes on the internet and you're like, yeah, no, that's not true. Yeah, you know, that that quote about Abraham Lincoln talking, no, that's not, no. (laughs) So I researched it, because I'm a geek like that. And I researched it and I found out it was actually true. It was actually true. I believe it was at Princeton University. It was 1962, and he was giving a talk, and somebody asked this question, and that's the answer he gave. I was like, boy, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? That that was how he would summarize it. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're going back to the basics. And, and, you know, understand this. The main objective of all religions is pretty simple. The main objective of all religions is to describe who God is and then who we are in relationship with God. That's not true just of Christianity, that's true of all faiths. Who is God, and who are we in relationship with God? And that's really the, 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 the point of all this. And, and the, the, the reality is, is a lot of people have a very flawed picture of who God is. As I was studying for this sermon this morning, I was, I was reminded of another quote, another um, story I heard by... Uh, someone who I consider the current um, greatest living theologian, a guy by the name of Tom Wright. And Tom Wright is a, is a um, he's semi-retired now, which means he's still writing 1,500-page books on theology and publishing them. Um, but he's a British theologian, and, and uh, he used to be the chaplain at, uh, I believe it was Cambridge. He was either Oxford or Cambridge. I believe it was Cambridge. But he was the chaplain at this and I've heard this story many times. He was a chaplain at the school. And, um, of course, colleges being colleges, he would run into the students in the halls or everything, and, and the freshmen would come, and they would talk to the, the chaplain, and they would say, you know, 
Dr. Wright, you know, I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God, so we're not really probably going to get along. And, and Dr. Wright would say, oh, really? Well, which God don't you believe in? And that would, you know, stop them for a second, and they would kind of cock their head, and, and then they would start describing God. And at the end of the, their description of God, Dr. Wright would say, well, good, because I don't believe in that God either. And that's so true because so often when you talk to people, um, whether it be they're describing God or they're describing Jesus or they're describing the Christian faith, oh, I don't believe, I don't like Christians because Christians are this or this or this. Well, yeah, that, that's not us. That's not, who Christi- that's not what the Christian faith is. What you don't believe in is a, is a straw man. It's a caricature of, of what the faith is. So our goal through going out through this, this Apostles' Creed is to get a clearer picture of, of who God is. Um, and who we are in relationships with God. So I'm gonna go ahead and read the creed just so we're back, we have it back in our heads. You can read along with me if you want to. That's very liturgical, but that's okay. Um, The creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and uh, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, I want you to notice something here. Last week, Sam talked about those first two lines. I've got that whole next section. (laughs) That whole section there that talks about Jesus, that's what he gave me. So settle in, lunch will be provided. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But seriously, looking at the creed, it says that much about God the Father and that much about Jesus. Kind of interesting, isn't it? What, that much about God the Father, and this much, probably 60%, maybe two-thirds of the creed is about Jesus, maybe three-quarters. It's important, because this was the key question for the early church, because Jesus was the one who changed everything. I mean, most of these people in the early church, um, at least for the first century or so, were Jewish Believers, they already believed in God. They already believed God and you know the Father. They already knew this. The question was, who is Jesus? What is this all about? What is Jesus? And and, and there's this word, a Greek word. Sam's we're we're pulling these Greek words, so we'll, I'll, I'll pull one too. Um, but there's this Greek word called hypostasis. Say that one with me, hypostasis. Oh, I love that word, hypostasis. It sounds so good. But hypostasis means. It's, it's, a, it's a strange word to try to translate, but I, I guess the closest people can come is substance. Substance. For example, if, if you gave me, ladies, if you gave me a ring, I would, be, I would look at that ring and go, oh, that's pretty. Now, but I would have no clue whether that's just fake cosmetic plastic stuff that's painted to look gold, or if it's 10 karat gold, or 18 karat gold, or 24 karat. I have no clue. I look at it and go, that's a pretty ring. 
but I don't know what its substance is. I don't know what its hypostasis is. I don't know what it is actually in its nature. I know what it appears to be. I know what it seems to be, but I want to know what it really is because that's what tells me how valuable it is. If I don't know its substance, if I don't know what it really is, then I could be fooled and buy some piece of costume jewelry for, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars. So we need to know what is Jesus' hypostasis? What is his substance? What is he? Who is he? What does it mean? And there's this big theological term that gets used in seminaries. It's called the hypos, hip, well, it's, it's pronounced differently in English. In English, it's pronounced the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. And what that term basically means is a very brief summary. That Jesus is 100% God and he is 100% human. Not 50% and 50%, but he's 100% God and he's 100%. That's like saying that your ring is 100% pure gold and also 100% pure sterling silver. Makes my brain hurt. And, and really, this is the thing that spent, the, the, the early church spent hundreds of years talking about this and trying to figure out what it, what, who Jesus was, what was his substance, what was he, who was he, then trying to define this. And, and it, it was probably a more difficult debate than even the, the idea of the Trinity. Who was Jesus? What was he? And, you know, we, we read these passages of Scripture that says, you know, when Peter says, you know, when Jesus asked Peter, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And we look at that and go, well, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. But for Peter, that phrase meant something else. You see, David was considered the son of God in the Old Testament. The kings were considered sons of God. That phrase didn't necessarily mean to them what it means to us. It has come to mean that as we have discovered who Jesus is. But Jesus, what the church has come to discover, come to understand is this, this hypostatic union, this idea that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The first place we get to this, and I'll start with that idea of him being 100% God, he is, Jesus, is the perfect representation of who God is. The perfect representation of who God is. Hebrews chapter one, right at the beginning, the writer of Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed heir to all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This verse right here, this set of verses right here is where we get a lot of the Apostles' Creed from. This is a doctrinal statement. This is a very strong doctrinal statement that says, listen, Jesus is the exact representation to us of who God is. 
Before, God spoke to prophets and tried to describe who he was. God spoke to Moses, and he spoke to Isaiah, and he spoke to Jeremiah, and he spoke to David, and he spoke to all these people, and he tried to describe who he is. But Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. The perfect representation of who God is. And what that means is Jesus overrides all other descriptions of who God is. And I'm gonna say something that may shock some of you at this point. But what this means is, is Jesus overrides all of our understanding about God, even the understandings of God that we get from the Old Testament. Jesus has veto power. That's what Hebrews is saying. It says, listen, yeah, God spoke to those people. The prophets, it's valuable. God was speaking to Moses. God was speaking to to Isaiah. God was speaking to Jeremiah. God was speaking to Ezekiel. God was speaking to all these people in the past. But now we have the perfect representation of God. Now we have the perfect display of who God is. All descriptions in the Old Testament of God, and they're valuable, and we should cherish the Old Testament, but understand that all the descriptions of God that we find in the Old Testament are insufficient and they're incomplete. Because there's this concept, and we're talking about a lot of theological terms, so I, hope, I don't want to try to lose you, but there's this idea called progressive revelation. And that is the idea that, you know how if you're talking to a child and you're trying to explain a computer to a child, if you're talking to a two-year-old, you basically hand them a phone and say, you put it in like kid mode <laughs> and then you say, here, don't drop this. Because that's all that a two-year-old can understand. Then when they get to be a little bit older, you talk a little bit more. And then by the time, you know, they're 12 or 13 year old, years old, they're, you know, if you're a parent, they're teaching you about computers, right? <laughs> well, it's the same thing with God. God couldn't talk to those believers in the Old Testament and give him all the knowledge and everything that they needed to know about God. He said, you're not ready for it. I need to prepare you for this. And that's what the Bible teaches us is that everything in the Old Testament prepared us for the arrival of Jesus. But now that Jesus has arrived, he is the perfect representation of God. He overrides everything that we see in the Old Testament. Why is that important? Because a lot of people take a look at God in the Old Testament and say, well, that's what God's like. God ordered, you know, the other Israelites thought that God ordered them to slaughter all their enemies. So it's okay for us to slaughter all of our enemies. No, it's not. No, because Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. Can you imagine Jesus walking up to you and saying, slaughter all your enemies? No, he said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus overrides the Old Testament. It doesn't make it invalid, doesn't make it worthless, but we have to understand this idea that God has been in a process of explaining himself to humanity. And Jesus is the culmination of that project. Jesus is the exact representation of God. Another topic, and I'm, I'm getting all over those controversial topics this morning, so, you know, that's kind of my, that's kind of my wheelhouse here at Central, so. <laughs> Another one, okay. It's okay to have capital punishment. It's okay to kill people when they, when they do crimes because there was capital punishment in the Old Testament. Okay, if you can imagine Jesus flipping the switch on an electrocution chair, 
I can't imagine that. I can't imagine Jesus, you know, doing the lethal injection. He died to give us life. He died to give life to murderers and rapists and terrible and terrorists and all these people. Jesus died for them. Jesus loved them. Jesus had a terrorist as one of the 12 disciples. He had a murderer as, as, as one of his early apostles. I, I mean, that's who Jesus was. Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And I'm telling you right now, if your picture of God in your head or your description of God doesn't look like Jesus, it's wrong. Simple as that. If your picture of God doesn't look like Jesus, if you think of God in a ways that you can't imagine Jesus thinking, then your picture of God is flawed. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, if you really know me, you'll know my father as well. From now on, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. He says, now that you've seen me, you've seen the father. You really haven't seen him yet, but now that I've arrived, now you know what God's like. So any picture of God that you have that doesn't look like Jesus, you need to revisit that picture of God. Take another look. Because it's Jesus who tells us who God is. But here's the other side of this hypostatic union. The other half of it is this. Jesus is also the perfect example of what it means to be a human being. We've been talking ever since the first of the year. We started off with our Shalom series. And we started, kept talking about this idea of the icon, the image of God. And I think every single one of us, Chris and Sam and I, always all talked about this idea of the image of God. And last week, Sam talked about the image of God. I'm back. I'm talking about the image of God. Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is what we are intended to be. He is the perfect image of what it means to be human. Because when he came down to this earth, he became 100% human. He didn't just look human. He didn't just act human. He was human. You know? He wasn't, it wasn't this sort of, you know, the men in black? You remember the Vincent D'Onofrio character where he put on the Edgar suit? You know, wow, sugar water. <laughs> you know, he, he, tried, he, looked, he put on a human suit. He put on skin and, and bones so he could look like human, but he wasn't human. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was 100 and is 100% human. Back to Hebrews again. Hebrews is so good. It's so thick, but it's so good. Hebrews chapter two. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Folks, this is really important for us to grasp because this is something that most Christians, I believe, most modern Christians don't grasp this idea that Jesus is exactly like us. Exactly like us. He is 100% human. He's not God in a human body. He's not God with a human skin wrapped around him. He is 100% human. 
When he was on this earth, he was limited just like we are. He had all the same physical human limitations, and let me get this straight, spiritual human limitations that we do. Philippians chapter two, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this, who, speaking of Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human, li- human likeness. This is, really, this is what I'm talking about. This is really important. Jesus set aside all of his godly attributes to become like us. We talk about God and we say, well, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. God knows all things. That's true. But while Jesus was on earth, he did not know all things. He didn't. Say, God is all-powerful. He can do anything. He can can do anything he wants. Just snap his... That's true. But while Jesus was on earth, he set aside his godly attributes. He set aside his power and said, I'm going to be human. I'm going to make myself just like humans. So for Jesus... Did Jesus do miracles? Of course he did. He prayed to the Father and asked the Father to do a miraculous thing, and the Father answered, just like we can. He didn't know everything that was going to happen in the future. He didn't know what was going on necessarily. He had to what? He had to pray. You ever think about that? All those scriptures in the Bible where it says Jesus went off by himself and prayed... You say, well, what was he doing? Talking to himself? He's God. Is he, is he schizophrenic? Is he talking? No, because while Jesus was on earth, he was human like us. Just like us. And he had to pray and he had to learn and he had to study the scriptures and he had to grow and mature just like us. He suffered just like us. He got hungry just like us. He went to the bathroom just like us. He was tempted just like us. He doubted just like us. You think of the story of Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan. You know, And what did Satan constantly say? If you're God, you know what that tells me? There was room for doubt. Jesus had the ability to doubt who he was. I don't believe that Jesus always knew his entire life that he was God, that he was the second person of the Trinity. I don't believe he came out of the womb, you know, quoting scripture saying, mom, I'm going to one day die for the sins of the world. No, he was human just like us. He grew up just like us. He was a mischievous little child just like us. That's who Jesus is. He is the perfect example of what it means to be human. And here's why this is important. Because there's a big lie, big lie that I hear often. One of my close friends from years past said this to me once and I was shocked. Because I'm like, we grew up in the same church. Why do you think this? He said to me, well, we can't really be like Jesus because he's God. That We can't really imitate Jesus because he's, he's God. He can do things that we can't do. Are you kidding me? 
You've been, you've been studying and hearing sermons and going to Sunday school for just as long as I have, and this is your understanding of Christian doctrine? This is your picture of God? I, I just couldn't grasp it. I couldn't get my head around it. And that's what's so hard for us to understand, and I, that's why it's so hard. That's actually a heresy called docetism. And it's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, back almost to the beginning, where people said, well, Jesus is God, but he just looked like a human being. No, Jesus was human. He is our prototype. Jesus, Jesus is our prototype. He is the example of what we were created to be. That's who he is. And the creed, notice the creed describes Jesus by what he does. He did this, he did that, he did this other thing, he died, he rose. He, it's all about what he does. And what does it show us about Jesus? What does it show us about him? He showed us who God is by becoming human just like us and showed us what it means to be human. He gained victory by doing what? By surrendering. He achieved victory through surrender. He, he provided eternal life through what? Through death. He became king and Lord by doing what? By becoming a servant and a slave to everyone. Everything's backwards. Everything's strange. And then we look at scripture, we look at this, the, the way Jesus taught. You think of the Sermon on the Mount and Man, I want to go back and do another series on the Sermon on the Mount Mount because I did one once and I loved it. Because the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' constitution of the kingdom of God. And what does the Sermon on the Mount say? Blessed are the poor, the humble, those who mourn, those who are weak, those who are merciful, those who are peaceful, those who are persecuted. Those are the people who are part of the kingdom of God. Those are the people Folks, we're called to imitate Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, that means I want to be a little Christ. That's what that word means. Christian means little Christ. Means I want to be exactly like Jesus. And to be exactly like Jesus means we've got to imitate him. And it's going to look weird. It's going to look completely bizarre to the culture around us. Because Jesus said, you come in first place by coming in last, Matthew. He said, you gain eternal life by giving your life away. Once again, in the book of Matthew, he said, you achieve greatness by being the least of these. That's what it looks like to be human. You become rich by generously giving away what you have. You protect yourself, you keep yourself safe by being vulnerable. Not by building walls and, and, and protecting yourself from all the danger. No, he just said, be vulnerable. Offer yourself to people. Because your God, your Father in heaven loves you. And this is what he's called you to do. I was telling Sam as we were pre- preparing for this, it's, 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 I have a love-hate relationship with these doctrinal sermons because I love preaching doctrine. But sometimes it's hard to say, okay, but what's the practical application of this? What does it mean to me? 
Folks, that's what it means. Jesus is not some person who just died for our sins and then someday we'll meet him in the air. Boy, that's so wrong in so many ways. Jesus is our prototype. He is the perfect example of what we were created to be. And if we want to be just like Jesus, then we're going to look weird to the world around us. And that's okay. Because that means we're becoming more like Jesus. The guy's going to sing another song or two and give us some time to just allow God to speak directly to us and allow these thoughts that we've talked about this morning to solidify. But, but let's pray before they do. God, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you that you revealed yourself to us by sending your son to show us who God is, who God really is, who you are. And I'm also glad that you sent Jesus to be our prototype, to be the perfect example of who you called us to be. God, help us to pursue that image of God, to pursue that Christ-like character within us. No matter how bizarre it looks to the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.